This is The Channel, a podcast from the International Institute for Asian Studies. Welcome to The Channel. I'm Jia Xuan Liu, the principal author of the IIAS blog Global Health Matters. The blog invites opinions and dialogues to expand the knowledge of health and well-being with inclusive perspectives across borders to better understand how health and well-being can be promoted or cultivated for all. It is my pleasure to be the guest host for this special episode. Today on the podcast, I'm excited to have deep learning on the subject of cultural healing with several specialists in this field. Aditya Kilan Kakadi, Marianne Makero, Fatima K. Molina, and Ang Bangyu. Aditya is an international historian and anthropologist from Assam, India. Next to his scholarship, he practices pranic healing, which is a modern energy healing system. Miss Marianne is a well-known Winti priest with Suriname's uh, background. She was the face of the exhibition Ritual Specialist in many Dutch museums. We have a guest from Philippines. Fatima is an anthropologist and currently works for a disaster and a relief agency. Her research investigated the cultural practices of healing for disaster relief. We also have An Bangyu from Taiwan with us. He was an associate research fellow at the Institute of Anthology, Academia Sinica. His research focuses on indigenous psychology and cultural healing, and have published several books on related topics. In this episode, we discuss what cultural healing is and how it fits into broader conversations about health, well-being, and science. Right. So we can start. To firstly, welcome everyone to be in this podcast. Cultural healing refers to the use of cultural practices and traditions to promote health and well-being among individuals and communities. What exactly is the definition of the cultural healing? Anbang, since most of your latest research focuses on the topics of cultural healing. Maybe it is nice that you can tell us more about cultural healing. Yes, um, it's about uh, two thousand two thousand nine in in Taiwan. Some of my friends uh, we organized a, a research team, and uh, we do some so called cultural practice. For example, the 
about the body work, body, because we think that the body work or the the body practice is a very important tool or channel. The how to connect the, the so-called cultural meaning or the cultural heritage or cultural or the traditional values or Chinese traditional a deep idea that we can connect it with the the body. So one of our practice is to, for example, such as the mediation meditation or a through some the music or uh Tai Chi uh is uh, one kind of Chinese Kung Fu, yeah? So the practice is to to help somebody to can relax and it can make their brain more clear and uh, help the understand oneself and uh, uh, have their, uh, we call it the self-awareness. Yeah, it's very important. Self-awareness and then uh, through the body and you can understand the problem or the, the trouble or the even the, the disease or the illness, okay? The illness. And uh, because we, we think that the body is between the, the heaven and the earth, uh, between the people and uh, the, the rule, or we call it uh, Tao, Tao, Taoism. So in, in Taiwan, from the 2009 to now, that we have organized some, some group, okay? That's one example. The other one is that if we use the, the song or the, the music as a tool, because through the music or the song that you can hear yourself, you can hear the voices of another one. So that's a, it's a very deep uh, understanding between the peoples that they, they can have the through the practice, we can have the ability, have the the knowledge and the affection. So, because it's a it's a whole understanding, the mutual understanding between each other. So, I I hope you can understand what we do it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Anban. If I uh, understand you well, you are talking about awareness of our own body. So we can understand our illness, our uh, disease by ourselves, And because of this, we can generate a kind of a self-healing process. So we have another anthropologist, uh, Fatima from Philippines. Fatima, maybe you came from the academic observation <laughs> and talk about cultural healing from your understanding and then uh, we will be very happy to have Adidia and Marianne to tell us uh, how they practice the cultural healing. Fatima, please. Okay, thank you. So for the Philippines, cultural healing can be associated with folk medicine. In our country, I grew up in the provincing herbolario or folk doctors, also known as medicilios or herbal scientists, before going to a medical doctor, since my parents believe in alternative ways of healing. 
these healing practitioners incorporate different healing techniques based on cultural practices and traditions which are said to be learned even before the Spaniards colonized our country. In order to heal, they do the Santigua. This is the process of diagnosing the cause of the pain. Some use egg and candle wax dropped in water in order to trace the cause of pain. Yeah, I will detail it later. Okay, great. Uh, so thank you, Fatima. Now we also know that in your culture, you are having the conventional, I, I like to say conventional medicine instead of Western medicine. So the conventional medicine usually based on the Western uh, development of science. But at the same time, the alternative uh, healing or treatment is still practiced uh, in the society. I think in many countries uh, are doing so. So thank you, uh, Anban and Fatima. Before we go deeper into this subject, I'd like to invite all of you uh, to tell us about your connections with uh, cultural healing. So maybe we started with uh, Aditya and Marianne. Because from your stories, you told us uh, you are learning or practicing the cultural healing as a healers right now. So maybe, Aditya, you are from India. You can tell us uh, more about this. What is your practice and uh, how you started with it? Yes, um, the practice that I'm familiar with is called pranic healing. Uh, it is a no-touch energy healing um, in a very modern format suited to modern lifestyle. Um, I came across this through my mother in, in the city of Guwahati, where I'm from. And um, I was attracted to it because I saw the utility it can have in everyday life as a way to sort of have a better, uh, better balance of life and, and have, have a more holistic uh, approach to ailments, but also well-being. I remember you told me once that it is a kind of a tradition in your village now. So how it starts like that? So pranic healing has been around for some time. It emerged in 1987 in its modern format uh, from the Philippines, actually. So the master or the grandmaster who uh, designed it in this particular format to make it more accessible, to make it more scientific and methodical. He's called Grandmaster Chokok Sui from the Philippines. And since 1987, it has been spreading across the globe. So it is not uh, particular to the place I'm from. Uh, although the center where I learned it was fairly recent, it has come up in the last 10, 15 years and is growing quite a bit now. And I feel that because it is something that is so useful and so easily ingrained in everyday life, it is so easy to sort of have this as a part of your uh, routine and a essential life skill, as if it's like driving, for instance, or cooking. Yeah, Aditya, that's very interesting. So maybe later you can tell us more about how to practice it. And I would like to turn to Marianne. Yeah, Marianne, it is a, a winty priestesser and also a teacher to teach others. I started first with cultural healing. Cultural healing is for me honoring my ancestors, their knowledge and wisdom about life itself. 
Cultural healing is about controlling life force. It is about well-being, physical, mentally, social, and economically. It is all about health in a holistic way. Cultural healing in the Vinti is about the fact that everything and anything have a connection with each other. There's no division between the visible and the invisible. And we as human beings knows that and need that to have a vision in life where we can stand all the efforts or the dangers and all the advantages from life. Wow, uh, Maria, I must say, it, you, your voice already have the spiritual power. <laughs> I can feel it in our, yeah, uh, with my body already. I think others also have the feeling, right? I I see Amba is nodding the head right now. Um, so we're talking about the cultural healing, according to both of you, and also uh, Amba and Fatima's uh, uh, information. I can see that uh, cultural healing can take many different forms, including traditional healing practice uh, or Maybe even herbal medicine, acupuncture, or ceremony or rituals can be included as well. So now is the questions to Fatima and Anbang. You both are researchers uh, on the cultural practices on healing. But I know at the beginning of your research careers, it was not uh, in this subject. So what leads both of you into the cultural healing at this moment? Maybe start with uh, Fatima or Anbang, you want to start? Uh, because in, the, in our research field, we see that people, they, they have some so-called uh, social suffering and they cannot get the answer, did not have any good uh, solution to their problem, their trouble, or they uh, suffer. So we try to uh, search in our tradition and we try to find out is there any technique or any tool, any way uh, to, to help them based on their, their, their local uh, tradition, their local culture. It cannot just take some concepts or theories from the other culture or from other countries or the so-called mainstream psychological theory or concepts. So in my research uh, career, I try to find out is any, any way, any alternatives. For example, the religion from some religious uh, or from the ritual, ritual like a uh, ritual hearing, or maybe in Taiwan, we have some Aboriginal peoples. They have their traditional way to help them. And that is uh, not just based on the, the Western medicine. They have their traditional medicine. They have their cultural practice to help them to resolve their problem or their illness or disease. 
Anbang is a psychologist. It is very interesting because you realize that the conventional medicine or our understanding of health doesn't really help the people in the social context. So you are looking for different way to help these people in suffering. But mm -hmm. at the same time, Fatima is an anthropologist. But now you are involved in the disaster uh, relief. So what is your story? Thank you, uh, Dr. Chasuan. So for me, uh, what really inspired me to do and study culture healing are the people, the survivors of disasters who are experiencing trauma after they lost a loved one. So recently, I had the chance to study the life of the people of the Ifugao in Kiangan, where I recently did a research on field research assessing the potentialities and effectiveness of the intangible cultural heritage in relation to natural hazards and disasters in the Asia-Pacific region. So through that, I was able to feature the story of uh, the people of Ifugao who have uh, survived the trauma after losing their loved ones in past disaster events, especially in the 1990 earthquake. So it is through the support of the International Research Center for Intangible Cultural Heritage in the Asia-Pacific region, where I get to investigate the cultural practices of healing from a disaster among the people of Kiangan. And here in the Philippines, a lot of people are actually uh, poverty-stricken. They cannot afford to go to psychiatrists, to pay doctors, to get access to oral medications, you know, especially for those who experience trauma. So I think it is important for us to really advocate for cultural healing in order for us to really respond and to be more culturally sensitive in addressing the trauma of the people, especially after a disaster. Thank you, Fatima. As I understand and also conclude uh, what uh, our guest said, uh, I think we agree that cultural healing practices recognizes the interconnectedness of culture, health, and healing, and acknowledges the importance of cultural identity, spirituality, and the community in the he uh, healing process. So I would like to, to learn from uh, all of you, what is your observations uh, on this process uh, or is there any phenomenon uh, you can share with us? Yeah, Marianne? The interconnectedness start with the moment I see contact or a family ask me for advice because in the African Surinamese and the Vinti tradition, we believe that sickness, illness, or disturbance of your health appears when there is a disconnection probably with your ancestors or with your personal soul, with a Vinti or with the community, because we are all dependent from each other and the circumstances of life. We believe that you can get sick or ill because your liver don't work good or, or, or your stomach don't work good or your brains, but also if you are disconnected with your 
personal, uh, with your guardian, Vindi, and your ancestors, you can get problems on all levels of life. And from that point of view, we just make a division between causes of illness by metaphysical reasons and biomedical reasons. And for the metaphysical reasons of illness, of disturbance in your health system, you have to ask a traditional healer to cure you. Because the traditional healer, the Vinti healer, is the person who is able, who can be a medium, be a spirit medium between you and your ancestor or a spirit which causes the problem in your health system. Yes, it is very interesting because you are talking about the factors. It's not just biomedical factors. There are also other factors that can contribute to our illness in a way. And how about Aditya? How do you believe or this interconnectedness? Right. Uh, so before thinking about interconnectedness, um, I would like to explain a little bit as to what is the basic principle on which pranic healing works in order to understand the question that you've asked. So pranic healing is based on the manipulation of prana, which is life force, as we've already heard uh, before from some of our other speakers. And there are many names for this life force in different traditions, right? So there is chi, ki, and so on and so forth that you can use to describe this life force. And in pranic healing, at the, at the most basic or physical level, what you learn to do is to manipulate this life force so that you can create better health conditions, remove diseases, and injury, and so forth. But this also goes much deeper. So through the techniques of healing, first, you're able to learn how to heal physical problems, but then you also learn how to treat mental, emotional, psychological problems, and even beyond that. So in a sense, by learning to manipulate this life force in every aspect of your being, one can create conditions to have greater control on, over our own wellness not control over life, but control over the life force. So as you can see, a lot of this comes from various traditions that were researched and already exist across different cultures and traditions across the world. And all of this is based on the idea that a physical ailment appears in the what is called an energy body. So every physical body or physical being has also a bioplasmic or an energy body around it. And this is what you're learning to work with. The efficacy of pranic healing, I found, was that although all these different traditions across the world have ways of working with life force, pranic healing is suited to modern day lifestyle where we do not have necessarily the time or the means to invest in something that will take a very long time to achieve. So with very little training or little short period of training and a lot of practice, it is possible to incorporate this very easily in our everyday life without having to invest too much time in it. 
And this is because a lot of the methods have been experimented with and a lot of so-called protocols to treat ailments have been developed over a long time with a lot of trial and error and experimentation. So there is a little bit of a methodological or methodical approach to working with life force. I have to say that since we talk about the interconnectedness of culture and health in particular, I would like to depart from the idea of using the word culture because in a way it implies separation from the scientific. And this scientific essentially is coming from European Enlightenment rationality. So in effect, what we're talking about today are not alternative forms of healing. I mean, these are forms of healing that have existed for thousands of years in different cultures and across different cultures. What is interesting to me here is to find that it is universal. So there are basic principles involved which are universal. Anyone can do it. For instance, pranic healing is designed like that, that anyone can do it if trained and not just somebody who wants to become a healer, but any lay person who wants to have the ability to heal themselves and others in their everyday life can do that. And that is why I compared it earlier with an essential life skill like driving or cooking and so on. So it doesn't mean that if you learn pranic healing, you need to be a professional healer or a healer in sort of that sense, right? Any person, in fact, every family should have at least one pranic healer so that um, in case there are any problems, physical, mental, emotional, those can be dealt with much more easily. And this is where also um, I had entered pranic healing from because I saw how useful it can be to have this ability. And it is complementary to allopathic medicine. It is no way a replacement. It is no way an alternative. And in that sense, we find that things can be dealt with more holistically alongside allopathic medicine. So for me, the cultural issue really here that I face on most occasions when talking about pranic healing is in fact a type of cultural resistance to it, right? Because you always have to end up qualifying other forms of healing which are not based on allopathic Western medicine as an alternative or as something inferior that always needs to be explained in a particular way. So that for me is the cultural aspect. Yeah, thank you, Aditya. I think it is really uh, inspiring uh, ideas. Is anyone want to react to each other's uh, talk in the previous uh, session? Yeah, Marianne, please. Aditya, I thank you for the the shift in this talk because I always also have that feeling. If you define what traditionals healers are doing as cultural, you just frame it in a narrow way because it is more than that. It is also about wisdom. It is about identity. It is about history. It is about psychology. It is about everything that a human being needs to live on this earth. So I thank you for uh, for the shift, and I uh, I qualified it 
as a deed of resistance. <laughs> resistance against the, uh, uh, the medical or the health world order. Thank you for that. And it is important that you have named it. I have the same feeling. So, uh, cultural makes our few of lives too small. If you do an upgrade to name it universal, maybe some academic people, they are uh, triggered to look on a more serious way at the subject. Yeah, thank you, Marianne. Maybe we should shift uh, our study on the cultural healing to something else. And actually, how do you think, Fatima, in your disaster relief, how do you see the so-called cultural healing as a humanity in this uh, relief process? Okay, uh, for us, among the humanitarian practitioners, I think that's a good thing to consider because we get to integrate being humanitarians in the process of healing. So for us, the practice of healing is truly helpful in the post-disaster context, especially for early recovery. For example, the practice of honga among the ifugaos is like undergoing psychosocial therapy since they get to pray and bless the sick to heal. The sickness that they suffer is often related to mental health. Those who were undergoing post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of devastation of a disaster. Once they get to practice honga, the people feel a peace since they get to collectively do a ritual as a community. They experience healing through the unity and solidarity they feel with their people. The peaks offered are a symbol of unity since these peaks are communally shared and freely given by the families. Cultural healing works because it is tied to the traditions and beliefs of the people. They heal because they believe in the practices. They are relieved because they are able to commune with the sky world that governs the worldview and their ecological systems. So sometimes what humanitarian practitioners do is they do the consultation with indigenous groups because sometimes we cannot just be donor-driven. We cannot just prescribe with what is written in the indicators or what is written in the risk assessments that they do. But they have to consult these indigenous groups. For example, in Ifugao, they have to offer pigs, which is not often listed in the medical relief or the humanitarian relief. So that's why they have to allocate budget for this uh, ritual in order to perform a ritual in order for them to heal. Because here, among the people of Ifugao, healing involves involvement in the afterlife. So they commune with the dead in order to heal emotionally and mentally from a particular disaster. So when their ancestors die, or rather they, they have victims who have died due to a disaster, they have to sacrifice pigs. They have to give that communally, and that symbol unifies the community together. I like this. So you are saying that the communication with the deceased families or the community members also help them to go through all these traumas. So in a way, they 
these uh, deceased people helped them. Yeah, even though they are suffered because this uh, their family uh, passed away because of this uh, disaster, but at the same time the connect the connectedness with the this deceased people help them have the strength to go on with their life. Yes, that's true. There's this one ritual called the Opa ritual that they do. So it is practiced seven to nine days after the body was buried to force the souls into the place where their ancestors dwell. It calls for the spirit of the dead to get down from the sky, since it is believed that when the mortal body dies violently, its spirit wanders up the sky world. So they have to call their ancestors to force the spirits together for them to be able to cross the afterlife safely and to be protected since they died violently from a disaster. Uh, I, I feel uh, quite touched. So the people who are still alive at the same time also help the deceased people to find their peace. And uh, yes. helping them to find the peace also bring the peace for the people who are alive to go on yes. with their life. That's beautiful, isn't it? Uh, I think, Anbang, maybe you have something to say because you also study the rituals. In Taiwan, there's many kinds of religions. And uh, in my research sites, I have a long participate uh, observation with the people because in the, in the hospital, the doctor cannot solve their problem or their disease completely. So they will uh, find another way. So our research team uh, try to empower the individual or the family members. We invite some psychologists, anthropologists, and some philosophers. So before the practice, we, we have to, you know, have some empowerment ourselves. We think that's very important. You have to understand your culture, understand your tradition, understand the different kinds of philosophy. I think that's, that's the, the basis of our research. Thank you, Anbang. Uh, Marianne, you want to say something, right? Or In the Vinti healing, we use a series of uh, ritual of treatment, rituals, and ceremony. And it all starts with the person you train the person to know himself because that individual person is also important for the whole community. You have to do a good research on the soul of the individual person because from that uh, source, you can get a lot of information about that particular person, but also his family, the community, the history, experience that people have, the family have, but also we use the ancestors to help us 
the ancestors, they have an important role in Vinti ceremonies and Vinti rituals because we consider them as the source of everlasting knowledge. We need the ancestors to understand our daily lives and give us the strength to know what is happening with us today in this world, the way we are living our lives on earth. We do offerings, we do ceremonies, dancing, uh, music, uh, food, uh, sacrifices, and so on. It is important. And that is just another way of thinking about health and wellness. So we as a community, we have to use it on a way that it works for our youngsters, that it works for the future. We as a, a let's say, a modern healer, just as Katja said, it is important because our youngsters and our nowadays life is a fast life. They don't have time to stay up the whole night to do rituals. We have to think about it and take it to them on another way, on a modern way. But the basic thoughts are the principles left for us by our ancestors and their wisdom. Well, beautiful, both of you. So the last question I want to ask all of you, can this kind of a healing integrate into the conventional medical or healing concepts? If it yes, how do you see it happening? Or if it's not because of some difficulties that you, you, uh, you can already foresee. Aditya, I see your hand. So on the question of healing with humanity or humanistic forms of healing, as you suggested, I think that to, to do any healing, it has to be, it has to have that humanity involved in it, right? And this is to do with the idea that we identify the primary cause of suffering and deal with that. So in that sense, we have a different definition and approach to illness. Since our speakers also spoke about religion, faith, and ritual, I think it is important to understand that in pranic healing as we know it in the modern form, there is no faith required, but it is okay or it is useful to have it. What is primarily needed is trust in the healer and the process. I think religion has been useful to humanity because it contains the elements, the fundamental basis on which all of the types of healing that we've talked about, uh, religion has made it accessible in culturally appropriate or culturally accessible ways rather for human beings to cope with what are larger questions that are common to religion, philosophy, and even modern science like physics. And that is to do with understanding the nature of reality and then working with it. So for example, when we talk about life force, perhaps we can find a parallel, parallel or analogy in electricity. We do not see electricity, but it still runs our lives. Similarly, in talking about 
religious ideas or notions of death or even philosophical ideas of death. In India in particular, death is taken very seriously as a continuation of life. And in that sense, death is also trivialized, that it is only a step along the way. And it is essential because the evolution of the essence of our being, what we earlier described as the soul, for it to evolve and grow, death is necessary. And I think that when we spoke about facilitating the dead in their journey, that principle exists across many traditions as well, including in India. And by doing so, by helping the dead, we also are able to learn positive karma. Now, let me just uh, spend a few seconds on describing what I understand as karma from, this, from the background that I've come from. In my understanding, karma works as an information system of our actions in our life. And our actions determines the quality of the information that we produce. And this is without morality attached to it. So in a way, to describe karma in a more uh, modern-day analogy, one could think of it as the cloud where all our information is stored when the device is destroyed. And it is in this cloud that you have certain types of information which Marion earlier described in talking to the ancestors or contacting the ancestors is this kind of uh, the source information that determines how a person's life can or will be. So the more positive points we have in that account, the better quality of or conditions of life we tend to have. And I think this understanding of karma is important when it comes to healing certain types of ailments, even in pranic healing. Aditya, you talk about uh, the pranic, how to contribute to the conventional medicine. Yeah, and he uses some scientific uh, explanation. Maybe you can tell us more about this uh, scientific element uh, in this practice. So then we can understand more how, how the integration can happen. Thank you for this question. I'm glad you asked it because academics in particular seem to be invested quite irrationally in rationality. I like that. And and in my definition here, again, rationality is referring to sort of a specific historical phenomena where scientific uh, sort of notions of what science is comes from this European Enlightenment period, right? And that creates this sort of idea, an ideology of rationality, which has been used over centuries to uh, create different forms of oppression and otherness. So moving away from that, I think pranic healing is scientific in various levels. In fact, it is described as the science and art of pranic healing, which means that the basic foundations are based on scientific principles and they have been scientifically researched and also methodically implemented, right? And the art form here gives space to the idea of innovation because not everything can be covered in a manual. And even if it is, one requires having sensitivity to individual specific trajectories, context, and so on. The basic principle on which it operates, 
and finds connection with modern medical uh, science, if you like, is that an ailment first appears in the energy body before it actually manifests on in the physical body. So one learns to detect this energy, which is in imbalance, and then fix that. So we understand that energy has to flow. It cannot be created, it cannot be destroyed. And for energy to flow, it requires a certain equilibrium, like a circuit, an electric circuit again, to use another analogy. Now, if there is a disruption in that circuit, if the electricity is too much or if it's too less, there is a problem in very simplest, simplistic terms. So the main principle of, for the healer is to first detect this imbalance and then clean the problem, if it's a congestion, for example, and then create equilibrium by drawing prana, not from their own body, but prana which exists, the life force that exists all around us, drawing that and channeling it into the areas that require this energy to be balanced. And once the healer does this, the body actually heals itself. So that is at the physical level. Now, I think it's also scientific at another level because it does not prescribe blind faith. A healer or a patient or a person experiencing the healing also must exercise discernment. And this does not require faith. So if only in your experience your problem has been solved, it is not because it is some magic. It is because the equilibrium has been restored. And if that experience, just like electricity can't be seen, but we can see it, we can see the effects of it, we can experience it, in the same way, if that experience is real, then it is worth investigating and implementing in our everyday practice. So if any particular problem we have is not getting healed enough or healed quickly enough or healed at all, perhaps when we try pranic healing or any other form of healing to supplement the allopathic treatment, and if it works, then we know that there is something happening there which is worth uh, pursuing. Now at the last sort of more deeper level, it is also scientific because some have compared the idea to quantum mechanics where consciousness and energy are linked. So for energy to manifest in a particular way, it requires consciousness. And I think that this principle exists also in pranic healing because primarily the healer is healing through intent, right? And it is through consciousness and intent and the mind that the healer is able to manipulate this energy at a very subtle level. And that is, I think, very difficult to describe to a modern medical practitioner whose approach is to work with the body in a very visceral way. So I think that the idea that it can also be manipulated through the mind finds some resistance. But I think this resistance can be overcome by experience, by actually sort of going through the process and seeing the effects. Then perhaps that's a basis to sort of experientially approach its integration. So in my opinion, these are the ways and I could summarize some of the scientific aspects or understandings and applications of pranic healing. Yeah, thank you, Aditya. Fatima and Anbang, would you like to share your opinions or your reflections on our talk till now? Yeah, Anbang, 
Uh, finally, I just want to say that I think that the so-called cultural healing or the humanistic uh, clinical healing, uh, I think that the, the human being is not the center, not the core center. I think the center is the, I think that the relationalism is the, I, I, I want to emphasize, not the human beings, not the, not the individual. I, I think that is very important for me from the experience of my research and my so-called cultural practice in Taiwan. Thank you, Anbang. I think you also point out a very important perspective. So when we are talking about healing on the individual, but actually the effect come from not the individual, but the relationships between the individual and the others and the surrounding, the life itself, uh, and Adidia, the energy around us uh, as a whole. So the uh, Marianne used a different word, I like that, it's a holistic uh, healing. Yeah. So this is really nice that you contribute to this point of view with us. So we turn to Fatima. So what is your conclusion from this talk? Uh, for me, I think it's about achieving equilibrium. So for Aditya, he pointed out about addressing the imbalances. So it's actually related to HELOT or the massage therapy, the intuitive therapy in the Philippines where uh, it removes the energy imbalance to achieve a renewed state of wellness or ginhawa, which refers to the state of being in harmony with mind, one's mind, body, and spirit. So ginhawa for the Filipinos goes far beyond the Western notions of wellness. It is a holistic concept that integrates the physical, emotional, spiritual, social, and environmental facets of an individual and their community. So I think the idea of ginhawa and achieving the balance incorporates the importance of having relationships, which Anbang has noted. So for us to heal, you have to be connected to the energy beyond our body, to, the, to our mind, to our ancestors, which Marian has noted, to the afterlife, which I've earlier noted. So humanistic healing is very holistic and it encapsulates the establishment of equilibrium in order to heal. So I think that sums up our ideas. Yeah, great. Uh, I would like to know if there's anyone still want to say something before I close our session. Aditya, yeah, I saw your hand. I quickly wanted to add, because we're talking about hum humanistic and humanity, that the healing is not limited to human beings only. It is not just human beings that can receive this life force and operates on this life force. So in a way, I want to decenter the anthropocentric nature of uh, our thinking as well in some ways. And pranic healing, I have done it on my pets, for instance, on dogs and other beings as well. So in a way, it is just a little bit nudge to think of holistic also as thinking beyond human beings alone. So thank you very much, and uh, I hope to talk to you soon again in the future. Thank you.
Thank you. Bye. Thank you all. Thank you. And that was Aditya Kiran Kakati, Marian Makero, Fatima Gay Molina, and Anbang Yu. There are a few takeaways from this episode I would like to share with you. The first one is we should decentralize culture from the cultural healing we are talking about. Maybe we can use a different words like a humanistic. Healing for this situation or this kind of practice, and the second one is humanistic healing. It is a holistic healing. It is not just for individual, but it is also for the community. Since we're talking about the connections between the individual and the environment or the world we are living in, it is also a holistic healing for all. Beyond the human being, the third one is the humanistic healing we are talking about can be integrated into the conventional medical system. However, to reach this point, we need to increase more understanding about this kind of、uh, healing systems and introduce it into the conventional medical system. So the conventional medical system can understand the healings and then include it into the daily modern healing system. Thank you for listening to the channel. Please subscribe to receive all future episodes. This podcast is brought to you by the International Institute for Asian Studies. A globally oriented institution based at Leiden University in the Netherlands, we are dedicated to fostering an integrated, multidisciplinary understanding of Asia and beyond. And we'd love for you to get involved. For more information on our conferences, webinars, publications, and a fellowship program, please visit IIAS. Dot Asia, that is I I A S dot A S I A. Have a great day, and see you next time. <laughs>